Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. An Erio's original. Welcome to the Mother of All Shows, the podcast that takes a deep dive into motherhood and parenting with a comedic twist. Because if we can't laugh that we started the Halloween countdown 87 days ago, then we're all screwed. I'm your host, Kimmy Gatewood. We haven't had a new show in a while because I've been lucky enough to be working, but mourning the loss of my favorite job ever, Glow. And sadly, we only have one more episode of Mother of All Shows left. And I just want to thank all the fans out there. I couldn't do this without you. Hopefully we will come back next year. Please continue to write to us and share with parents. Today on the show, we have an amazing guest to talk about domestic workers. Domestic workers are the nannies that take care of our children, clean our homes, and care for our loved ones. They have been on the front lines of this pandemic. These are essential jobs that keep the wheels of society working. They also are some of the lowest-waged workers in this country. As I mentioned, I've been working over the past couple of months. Our immediate family is not nearby, and my husband and I have had to rely on our nanny and our friend's support to raise our daughter and keep up with an erratic career in the arts. In lean years, it's been hard to pay for childcare, but I'm a huge advocate for making time for yourself and career while your child is getting all the attention he or she needs. If you only give 50% to everything, it's hard to feel like you're good at anything at all. Our nanny's a part of our family and we love her. So my guest today is Ai-Jen Poo. She is the co-founder and executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, a nonprofit organization working to bring quality work, dignity, and fairness to the growing number of workers who care and clean in our homes, the majority of whom are immigrants and women of color. Our conversation gave me hope, which during these times has been hard to come. Here's our chat. So thank you so much for for joining me today. You're quite an amazing, accomplished human being who is a recognized genius. So I feel pretty cool talking to you right now. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I feel cool talking to you. You got comedian in your title. That's the best. You make people happy. So good. You know what? I'm I'm working on overtime uh, right now, you know. We need the laughs. mm -hmm. We really need the laughs. It's a key survival strategy of the Rona. I think, (laughs) yeah, it's, uh, I'm trying to pass it on to my child and I think she's taken it along uh, pretty well. We're going to be talking today about you and uh, the work that you do because, you know, uh, we've done a lot of talking about what the pandemic is kind of, you know, bubbled up to the surface, as they say, as I wouldn't be surprised if a volcano erupted in the middle of Los Angeles. Enough bubbling uh, already. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things as a parent is obviously um, child care and the lack thereof. It's really kind of exposed um, how difficult it is to be a working parent. And it also, you know, we've seen a lot of headlines about nursing homes and mm-hmm. how uh, the the older population is, you know, locked in their rooms or, you know, mm-hmm. but it, but it's, it's, 
it's not just about, you know, the children and the, the older folks. It's also about the people who have to do the work and also are in danger, uh, you know, of getting sick um, and underpaid. And uh, I'm it's, it's pretty overwhelming to think about. Can you talk about your work? Um, mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so at the National Domestic Workers Alliance, we represent the millions of women, mostly women of color, who work mm-hmm. as nannies, house cleaners, and home care workers. And they're basically caring and cleaning and holding up our families, our households, and their own. And it's some of the most important work in the world. I mean, where would we be if we couldn't rely on good care for the people that we love the most? And um, and yet it's totally undervalued in our world. It's like invisible. It's not even considered real work. We still call it help. Um, right. And, and, and yet it's a profession for so many people. And it's a profession that the workers, the, the domestic workers, the home care workers, the nannies that I know take so much pride in the work that they do. And they mm-hmm. love to provide care and they know how important it is. And thanks to this pandemic, <laughs> the rest of us are pretty clear. It's, it's actually really important. And, and I think that even though the problems associated with the work seem so big sometimes, and they are historical and we can get all into that. Um, I think this is one of the biggest moments of opportunity to really change how we value and protect this work of caring Mm -hmm. and how we invest in it and support it. And also how we just support our families better I mean, we all care. We all have people we love, who we worry about, who we are responsible for ensuring their safety and their well-being. And it's an issue that connects all of us. And we should have public systems and infrastructure to support that. And up until this point, we haven't really done it. We've relied upon this workforce of women of color that's underpaid to do it. And that's what we can change now. Now that we see, and we can't unsee what we've seen in the Rona, we can yeah. actually do something. We can take action to to change things. Yes, so I preach. Feel hope. Yeah, that's great news. Uh, I I also I, I also feel hopeful. It's like a, a gnarly thing to kind of like you know uncover, but also you know the 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 people that help clean our house, the nannies, the babysitters, um, just that I need when I do like 14 hour days on set mm-hmm. or something. Like, oh yeah. I um the, the people that keep uh, me sane and able to be um, uh, an active member in society and like keep up, uh, stay, stay active in the workforce. Cause you know, as a woman, a working woman, oftentimes if you do take off for, to take care of your child, cause it's usually the women, uh, mm-hmm. you will be left behind and it increases the pay gap. It's so many things. <laughs> It's so many things. It's so interconnected. It's, Mm -hmm. and we're seeing right now in the COVID crisis that a lot of women are opting to leave their jobs because their kids are struggling at home with online learning and they need more support. And there's just not the infrastructure in place to support working parents, especially moms. And it's, we're the only developed country that doesn't have clear infrastructure in place to support families with childcare. 
Yeah. And makes my blood boil. <laughs> it really does. It's just a place where we've been so far behind and mm-hmm. at great peril to women and women of color in particular and the workforce. My goodness. I mean, we lose some of our best caregivers to other low wage fast low wage jobs like fast food and retail because people can't survive on the incomes mm. they earn doing this work and they don't have sick days. 82% of domestic workers didn't have a single paid sick day going into the COVID crisis. And then they <laughs> lost their jobs and their income and didn't mm-hmm. have health care and, and all the things. And so it is definitely time for a change. And like I said, I think people are awakened to it and we can start to make that change. I'm hearing everybody talk now about the need to invest in child care and to support our child care workers. I'm hearing people talk about how we have to change our long-term care system to make sure that our elders have more support to be able to stay at home and age at home instead of in nursing homes, which are apparently vectors of the COVID virus, Mm -hmm. right? And so we know how to keep people safe. We know how to make these jobs better. And it's now on us to to make that happen. Yeah. So one of the number one things I hear from parents, especially like, you know, when I get a panic call from any friend who's just like, I'm pregnant, what am I going to do? You know, (laughs) the the first first I'm like, it's going to be okay. You're not the first person in the world to get pregnant. (laughs) Um, Like the number one thing, and I'll say this only about people in the United States, because other people, uh, other countries have it covered, like we said, um, is they're like, how am I going to afford to take care of this child? Will I have to stop work? Um, And it's such a conundrum, right? It's like, if you were, if you're, you need to be able to pay for the childcare, which people can't afford, or you're paying more for your childcare than what you're making. And then mm-hmm. the, the workforce isn't making enough to survive and take care of their own children. It's just this like vicious cycle. Um, how do we find a solution for that and or clarify the information, get the right information out there? Well, you're right. It's such an impossible situation for everyone involved. And I mean, the reality is, is that 70% of the workforce in this country pre-COVID. This is mm-hmm. before everything kind of fell apart. The, the before times. I <laughs> this is the before the BC times. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, 70% of the workforce earned less than $60,000 per year. Wow. And the average cost of childcare in this country is about 9000 per year. And obviously many of us pay much more. And the average cost of a private room in a nursing home is about $100,000 per year. You could probably get a shared room for like 60 grand a year, maybe. Oh my God. I did not realize it cost that much money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. And so the numbers actually do not add up. It is literally impossible. It's not just like we feel it's impossible. It emotionally <laughs> feels impossible, that too. But it's actually literally impossible to afford the care you need for most people in America who work really hard. They're doing everything right. They're, there's no, nobody did anything wrong here, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's it just goes to show that what we've been treating as kind of an individual responsibility of like – If you're going to have a kid, you're going to have to just figure it out, Mm -hmm. right? Or you have a parent who needs care. You just have to figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, you're a bad parent, you're a bad mom, or you're a bad daughter, 
no, like that's crazy. Like this is not, it just doesn't work. And we need public systems in place. We need a shared plan where we can basically have the infrastructure, the support. Like when we think about infrastructure, we think, okay, we need roads and bridges and transportation systems because that's how commerce works and that's mm-hmm. how the economy works. We'll also we need one need giant we need one giant bounce house for all the children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Throw them in the bounce house. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That too. And I think about care as part of that infrastructure that we need. And in my in our vision, right, mm-hmm. my organization and our coalition caring across generations that we're a part of that's been really trying to reimagine how we could provide the care that we need for everyone who needs it and support the workers, make it affordable. We've been working on this problem for over a decade now, and our vision is to create something called universal family care. Mm-hmm. And what it is is a pretty simple idea that There would be one fund that we all contribute to, that we can all benefit from, that helps us afford childcare, long-term care, support for people with disabilities, and paid family leave. Basically, everything you need to take care of your family while you're working. And And humanity. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like quality of life for Mm -hmm. your elders and mm-hmm. your babies have somebody actually nurturing their potential all the time. And it's pretty fundamental. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, but wouldn't that be too expensive and deficits and uh, and literally we are paying so much for care already out of pocket in incredibly expensive and inefficient ways. And what this would do is allow it to be collectivized in a way that would make it so much more affordable and accessible to everyone. And it would allow us to raise the wages for the workers. I mean, if most of us are barely making a living wage, how do we pay our caregivers a living wage? We can't do it. We need Mm -hmm. to collectivize that responsibility. You were talking uh, a little bit ago about the historical context of domestic workers. I'd be really curious to hear more about that. Yeah, well, so, you know, when we think about domestic work, the work itself is always has always been associated with women work that women have done and carried in our families and in our communities. And it's kind of always been taken for granted or assumed that women will do like caring and caring for children and cleaning and As a profession, domestic work has always been associated with women of color and in particular black women. Mm -hmm. And some of our first domestic workers in the United States were actually enslaved women from Africa. Mm -hmm. And that legacy of slavery has shaped the conditions of this workforce from day one. And, you know, a really good example of this is that in the 1930s, when Congress was putting into place our labor laws that would be a part of the Great New Deal to help us recover from the Great Depression and kind of reset our policy and our economy for this next generation, there were two big pieces of labor law that were debated in those times, and Southern members of Congress refused to support them if they included domestic workers and farm workers who were black workers at the time. Mm. And so in a concession to those Southern Dixiecrats, 
the National Labor Relations Act and the Fair Labor Standards Act, which are like core pillars of our protections for workers so that we celebrate every workers, every Labor Day, excluded domestic workers. And every generation of domestic workers has fought as a result for basic, basic recognition. And underneath that exclusion and many that followed is a story that the work is not real work and the people who do it are not real workers and they're less than fully uh, human and worthy of equal protections under the law. And that whole narrative is rooted in the legacy of slavery and a narrative that still persists to this day. I think that we still live in a society that is very much structured by a hierarchy of human value that values the lives and contributions of some more than others. And certainly of white men over everyone else. And it shows up in our economy in so many ways. And I think the clearest example is in domestic work. And so this workforce today is still mostly women of color. We're still fighting for inclusion in 1930s labor laws. Can you believe that? Literally. Wow. That's it's, awful. it's insane. And and at the same time, we're not only fighting those exclusions, we're actually resetting the labor laws. So thanks to the brilliant organizing of Black women over many generations, we stand on the shoulders of incredible Black women and other women of color who have fought and organized and paved the way for our movement and won progress. We are still organizing and our movement is stronger than ever before. And we are winning policy at the state level we have a federal domestic workers bill of rights um, that Senator Harris and Congresswoman Jayapal introduced last year that we're fighting for. And we just launched a black women's agenda called the Unbossed Agenda that is a new vision for how black domestic workers can be truly valued and cared for in our society. And so we're moving, we're building, we're organizing and we're making progress and I'm really hopeful because of it. I think that when women come together and demand what we deserve and organize and build our power, we are just unstoppable. What's crazy about what you're talking about right now is like a lot of the conversations that are bubbling up in this like pandemic times that it all comes back to racism in our country and we have Mm -hmm. not dealt with it at all. And it, and it affects everyone's pay. It affects their livelihood. It affects their mental health. It affects their births. It affects everything. So yes. And no, and we I'm are sure- all, we are all part of a, a story in this mm-hmm. country that has completely devalued black lives. Mm-hmm. And we are all responsible for changing that. It's our collective project. It really is. And what you're doing is so smart in terms, you know, that policy really does, you know, like, and policy and laws really do make changes. Um, yep. You got to vote. Mm-hmm. You got to advocate for policy change. 
And you got to face the truth. Exactly what you're saying is we've never fully reckoned with how deeply embedded racism is in every aspect of our culture and in our economy. And until we face that truth, we are not going to be able to move forward and make the kind of great leaps forward towards the country that we deserve. And I think that what's happening right now is that is that truth, that moment of truth, right? That truth telling mm -hmm. and a moment of opportunity for us to face our history with courage, right? Mm -hmm. And and humility and to really reckon with it in such a way that we can actually find the policy solutions and take the actions that will be required of us to to move forward together as a country. Yes. Yeah. Universal family care baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> can you imagine if we all if can you imagine if we had universal family care like what would your life be like if you had universal access to childcare, to elder care, to paid leave that all you had to worry about was actually spending the when you are with your family you mm -hmm. get to actually be present with them and then when you're at work you get to actually be present with your work mm -hmm. and you actually get to you you don't feel alone in your your responsibilities to right. take care of the people that you love. You don't feel like a burden onto a company just because you had a child <laughs> yeah. or have an aging parent, you know? It seems so simple, but it feels like you can almost imagine how liberating it would feel. Here's what it would feel like not having to panic that you're like, I forgot to book a babysitter and just having flop sweats <laughs> flying out of your armpit and just calling right. everybody around. You're just like, are they available? How's the 16 year old next door? Is she available? <laughs> right. <laughs> How much does she charge? Everybody charges something different. Some are $15 an hour. Some are $30 an hour. Oh my I need, gosh. I need the cheap babysitter tonight. I can't afford the expensive babysitter, you know? Like it's right. all like I don't have any family. I have tons of family. My family doesn't want like like me. <laughs> 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 Whatever it is. It would just those like that's very simple act of not having to have like a, a butt clenching panic every time you have to go somewhere <laughs> would be great. That's really vivid <laughs> and actually a great description. The butt clenching panic <laughs> is actually what it is my yes. I mean listen my I have a very tight ass but <laughs> is it the butt clenching panic yes it's from my child but we're gonna make it through <laughs> can you talk about the term sandwich generation this is something mm -hmm. that ha is uh, on a lot of my mom groups um my mom had me when she was 20, so I don't have to – she's only 20 years younger than me – I mean, older than me, which is such a weird thing to think about now. But um, uh, I, we're not dealing with uh, – she's, she's still pretty young, but um, there are mm -hmm. people, you know, that have older parents, sick parents, and then they're little babies and they're oh my god, year olds, you know. Totally. No, there's tens of millions of sandwich generation family caregivers who are literally – in the most impossible situation because 
we call it the panini effect because it's like sandwich feels kind of gentle. Panini <laughs> is when you're like smushed, right? And you really are like paninied between the pressure of managing care for your parents who are aging and maybe they have Alzheimer's or mm-hmm. some other form of dementia or, right? And and as our parents are living longer, the need for care just explodes, right? And then at the same time, have young children, right, who are also in need of care. And managing both is literally crazy making. And people do it. They somehow figure it out and go to work full time because they have to. They don't have a choice. Because you have to pay $200,000 on both ends? (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's insane. It's totally, totally insane. It makes no sense. And it's, it's only getting worse. Like the ranks of the sandwich generation are growing because right now the millennials are starting to have children at a rate of 4 million babies born per year. And then the boomers are aging. And so every day, 10,000 people turn 70 in our country And because of advances in technology and healthcare, people are living longer than ever. And the 85 and older generation is actually the fastest growing segment of our population right now. Wow. So we're about to have a huge older population and all these people smushed in between trying to figure out how we care for everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And those sandwich generation heroes and cheeros are the ones who are really on the front lines of the care crisis right now, um, in particular in the midst of the COVID crisis. And we got to send our love out to them, but they need more than love and applause, boy. They need some real <laughs> help. <laughs> oh my God. So what you're saying is I need to revamp the Golden Girls for the 85 and older <laughs> generation. <Yes. laughs> Completely. We need to re- reboot. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, if you did that, it would be so successful. <laughs> I guarantee you. We got to figure this out now because like, we're going to be there. What happens if we don't, if we stay this current course? What's going to happen to the aging generation? Right now, we our s- solutions are patchwork at best. Um, mm. We don't have any uh, long-term care support really infrastructure in this country. If you are um, able to afford it, you can buy long-term care insurance, which is a private market product, but it's very expensive Mm -hmm. and pretty limited in what it covers. And so most people say that it doesn't cover what they want when they need it. And um, so it's like not a great product. Or you can totally deplete your assets so that you can be eligible for Medicaid and get access to long-term care through Medicaid, but there's a bias within the Medicaid system towards nursing homes. So in a whole bunch of places, your only option for care 
through Medicaid is to go to a nursing home. And we've seen how well that's worked out in the COVID crisis. And not to say that there aren't some good facilities out there and there will always be a need for nursing homes. Mm -hmm. But for a long time, people have said they want to be able to age in their homes, in their communities, connected to their families and the lives that they knew. And they should have that option. And we just don't have the home care workforce in place to support them because Home care workers on average in the United States make about $16,000 per year. That's tragic. And those One are all six. United United States citizens, right? Not oh, um, yeah. the yeah. non uh That's everybody. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. And and that is I mean, I don't know what it's like in LA, but you can't survive off of $16,000 anywhere I've no. in no. this country. Right? I mean, rent Rent is like at least like I was like two thousand dollars for a two bedroom. Blah! <laughs> that's <Right>. crazy. <laughs> it's insane. So you can't. I mean, so that's where there's high rates of turnover, and we don't have the workforce in place to support all of our elders to be able to age at home. But the good news is, I know this sounds very overwhelming, and I don't think that people need more things to be overwhelmed by, but <laughs> I do want more to things say, to clench their butts. Right, exactly. <laughs> I do want to say that we know how to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. We really do. We absolutely do. Like there are a whole set of really smart policy solutions to be able to make care more affordable and accessible, to be able to make home care more accessible, and to raise the wages for the workers. And all we have to do is elect people who care about care. And that's why voting is so important. I mean, we're coming up, Kimmy, on this election that is... What you say? There's an election coming up? (laughs) (laughs) It's really, really, really a big deal Mm -hmm. um, for so many reasons. Everything is on the ballot this year, including care and our ability to care for the people we love. And so that's my little PSA for voting. So you're talking about um, voting for people that will vote for care. Or are you saying that there are measures in which uh, normal folks can actually vote yes on a measure? Mm. Like LA has like a ton of like measures that we vote on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was more referring to electing people who are going to actually move the policy solutions that make sense forward. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are probably some places where there are ballot initiatives about Mm -hmm. care. Um, There was one a few years ago to create universal home care in Maine that unfortunately didn't go through, but. Um, it was really groundbreaking and exciting, and I think we're going to look at what other places we could do something like that in the future. But mm-hmm. what we do, what we need ultimately, are laws passed that fund our caregiving systems. And um, there are there are plans. I mean, one of the candidates for president announced a whole plan uh, to put caregiving in the center of economic recovery. Um, Vice President Biden and Senator Harris, their economic recovery plan has three pillars to it. And one of those pillars is investing in our caregivers. And it's a really bold plan to make sure that access to care is expanded and our care workforce has good wages and protections and family caregivers like the panini sandwich generation have the support they need. 
So there are plans and there are candidates talking about them. And um, yeah. Yeah. If anybody has any questions on who they should vote for, we should just do like a day, a day in a life scenario where you have to take care of a five-year-old doing kindergarten on zoom, work a full-time job and also worry about your mother. Um, Right. Exactly. See how that scenario plays out. See how everybody, (laughs) see how everybody fares with that. Right. Um, I have a question for you. you. We were talking, you know, about how women mostly take on the burden. How have you reckoned that in your own personal life, you know, taking care of a child working? And what are your personal, um, how do you personally take care of uh, all the responsibilities um, in relationship with domestic workers yourself? Well, let's see. I'm really lucky because I am part of a four parent squad for Mm -hmm. Addie. Um, Mm -hmm. Addie has four parents, her mom, her dad, her stepdad, and me. Mm -hmm. And um, we, that's actually a really good ratio, by the way. Oh my (laughs) God. A four to one ratio for adults (laughs) per kid is actually a decent ratio. Yeah, Um, that's pretty good. And you know what? It's really funny. You started with like, I'm really lucky because, and that's usually the people that can make it through. To like to mm-hmm. make it all work is that mm-hmm. always starts with I'm really lucky because it's mm-hmm. it's it's been a fascinating I mean I'm a podcast host but <laughs> these, <laughs> these are the studies that I do when I listen to people um, but yes. no it's a really important data points you're gathering here yeah thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have you have your squad your four to one squad I have my four to one squad and we have Addie with us every other week and also part of our squad is um, her one of her best friend's mom, who is overseeing and supporting her learning pod um, with two of her friends who are also in fourth grade. And so we've got all these just incredible caring adults who are helping us make it work. And so between the four grownups who are parents and um, the amazing Julie, uh, who is helping oversee the fourth grade day to day life of the girls. Um, it's, we have just really been blessed. And, and I think I would say that, um, in general, that care has to happen in these squads. Like this whole idea of nuclear families and the ways in which we have these weird, defined roles and expectations. I think we should just go back to a squad model where we just, you know, we have our teams of people who team up to make sure that the people we love have lots of great adults in their lives to support them and encourage them. And, and we actually design for that. And so you're saying I can join your commune. Yes. You can join the commune and there can be a nanny and there can be a cleaner and and we're all in this together. Yeah, and yeah. everybody's got a position to play and it's really important. <laughs> yes, I'm a part of a pod. So we have there's two families. We've been sharing a nanny since our girls were born and there's three children um all together, four adults, a nanny, and then we each have our own like people who help clean our house. I mean, it takes a damn village and they're not joking. And I think that the uh, pandemic has definitely proven that it's like, you just need to like ask for help. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Yes, it would be exactly. nice to not have to ask for help all the time, but you have to like it definitely whatever whatever the the like j- like a uh, patriarchal <laughs> um like a uh, uh, TV show or or policy that like put it into women that they have to do it all in the eighties. Like you can have it all. It doesn't exist, and you need help. No, <laughs> no. I actually think it's like for us to take pride in asking for help mm-hmm. and to actually wear it as a badge of honor is mm-hmm. really really important um, because it is the part of the reason why we have not invested in and these relationships and this work of care has become so invisible is because we haven't we haven't actually said this is hard this mm-hmm. is we actually need each other and um and to really make that visible i think is part of the project here and and it's not just for child care i mean my grandmother um she just passed away recently um mother's day oh, i'm sorry to hear that Thank you. No, it was really hard because, I mean, she's my all-time number one hero and played a huge role in raising me. And, you know, her care squad was my mom, who was her full-time caregiver, plus she had two, at the end, she had two home care workers, Georgia and Michael, who were amazing. And they taught us the rules of the road. Like, they, they were there were tricks of the trade <laughs> that you only know when you're full time caring for people and it's skilled work, it's difficult work and there's an art and there's a science to it. And it is so much that it really does require my mom and Georgia and Michael. And when I was able to come me and my sister who lives, you know, three blocks away and her husband and, Everybody was part of the care squad in this situation and played different positions, but it was everybody's role was essential. And we got to just make all of that visible and not only visible, but like celebrate it in a different kind of way so that we know that we need to invest in it in a different way. Did you see that story recently with this California state legislature, legislator Buffy Wicks, who was literally one month after giving birth to her kid and asked if she could submit her vote for a critical bill remotely because she was literally recovering from just having given birth. Yeah. And they said no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So she had to bring her one month old baby to the floor with her to cast her vote. And okay. she, Good for her. She did so and like told the story. And that's, I think, part of what we have to do in order for things to start to shift is to say, hey, this is not real, guys. Like Mm -hmm. we have families, (laughs) they are humans, and it is the most important, one of the most important aspects of our lives. And you don't leave that part of who you are behind just because you go to work. Do you it's think all that, part of it. Do you think when, when, uh, after women give birth, like, um, their partner, like we should just like injure them as well. So they have to recover. <laughs> like, like everybody just like, like, sorry, we're just going to have to slice your, your leg a little. Cause like it, we need it to be equal. And in order for mothers to be visible, you're going to just have to suffer. <laughs> a little bit. 
Oh, I love that idea. Well, I don't know if it's like because where was her husband? That's my point. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying. I do. Uh, <laughs> I do know what you're saying. It's like, how do we get to the kind of consciousness shift, the real culture shift that like makes that demand of her to show up after one one month with her mm-hmm. one month old baby? How how do we make it so that we have a culture where that is absolutely unconscionable, unacceptable, mm-hmm. unfathomable? Like that's where we got to go. And I don't where? know. Is it is it cutting someone's leg? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Let's find out. No, uh, where where is that utopia in the world that that all that we they've got it figured out or ninety percent figured out? You know. I always I hate this question because it's always like yeah the Scandinavian Sw- Sweden yeah yeah right <laughs> um, you know and I have a, I have a I have a cousin in Finland and I'm just like wow you guys you guys got it figured out <laughs> you really did it congratulations yeah I mean they got other problems but yeah. <laughs> they figured out this piece of how we build care infrastructure. And mm-hmm. treat it as infrastructure, and it does make all the difference, I think. Um, and one one thing I will say though is I don't think anybody's really figured out this this question of how we value the workers. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that we could in this country become global leaders in treating care, the care workforce as a valued profession. And that's where I would like to see us go is like, right now we're kind of at the bottom of the barrel, but I think we could make a big leap and, um, and maybe get into the playoffs. Yeah. (laughs) Squad goals. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's tell me about your podcast, Sunstorm. Oh yeah. yeah. So, okay. So have you ever been in, a storm where it's raining really hard and maybe even hailing a little bit, but just, just pouring, mm-hmm. but somehow miraculously the sun is still shining through. Have you ever yes. seen that? Yes, okay. I have. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is what we call a sunstorm. And um, after the 2016 election, my colleague and dear, dear friend, Alicia Garza and I were talking and we were she was in the middle of a sunstorm in Minnesota. And we were like, oh, we are in a political sunstorm right now. We are in this moment where all of these attacks on our democracy and our norms and our just constant threats. It was like the Muslim ban and then family separation, so much happening. And, um, and we were like, at the same time, there were so many people showing up with such grace and strength, like the women who showed up to march in unprecedented numbers, and then who showed up at town halls to protect our health care, and then to show up to stop families from being separated at the border, and then to show up to run for office, and then to show up to vote in unprecedented numbers in 2018 and just all of the ways in which people were showing up with such light in the midst of these unprecedented storms, especially women. 
mm-hmm. were the inspiration for us to launch this podcast and call it Sunstorm and to basically have it be an offering to all of the people who are trying to show up in the midst of these unprecedented storms and supporting them to do that however we know best. And so that's the show and the new season that just launched um, with an episode with Megan Rapino, who is just a total genius. That's so cool. Person. My daughter would be freaking out right now. <laughs> oh my God. I, I almost passed out multiple times during the interview <laughs> because of the sheer brilliance. Um, but yeah, it's all about finding your lane this season. So we'll be talking to people about um, what it means to find your lane and um, and contribute in the way that feels like authentic and true to who you are and helps us um, through the storms. What a fun way to like think about finding your lane. It's like there's a lot of cacophony and chaos. It's like finding the thing that, you know, to focus your efforts and yeah. passion on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, because it is what we do that defines us. Not and not the not the television shows we yell at. <laughs> correct. It is what we do, and and we all have a lane. That's the beautiful thing about it. Is like mm-hmm. you don't have to carve it out. There is one there. You just got to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. You are uh, just a delightful person to talk to and i i love the the optimism and you know we talk about some pretty hard topics but um the the optimism and the the steps that you're taking to make a change are just so inspiring um thank you and how can people get involved and uh, people can look us up at domesticworkers.org and if you want to learn more about universal family care you can go to universalfamilycare.org um, and follow us, uh, listen to our, our podcast, Sunstorm. Um, you can download it anywhere you get your podcasts. And um, yeah, this was so fun to talk to you, Kimmy. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to a genius who's funny too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clenching my butt right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. She's making diamonds. <laughs> What this last year has taught us is the future is uncertain and we need each other. We also need to support change through legislation that pays a living wage to the people cleaning our homes, taking care of our grandparents and aging parents and kids. Our loved ones and the people that care for our loved ones deserve a better system. We will all benefit. That's our show. I want to thank my guest, Ai-Jen Poo, and the organization she created, the National Domestic Workers Alliance. She has been advocating for the workers supporting our families and society for generations. Domestic work is real work and hard work. We deserve a living wage. Please reach out to me through our website, motherofallshows.com, if you have any questions, thoughts, or topics you'd like to hear. We are also all over social media at MOASpod. This podcast is produced by Jen Perry Lee, music by Jerome Curtinbuck, and edited by Lauren Bancroft of Pingcroft Law. I am a proud part of the Erios Network. Please subscribe and rate the Mother of All Shows on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. It would really help us out. Like voting, but stay active after the election. Change will happen if you stay engaged. We will have links to the topics and resources we discussed today on our website. And for old time's sake, I boo-boo butt you. Erios. Powered by ACAST.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.